it is time for us to get to the Bible. We're going to be in a number of different places uh, in the Bible, but we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you have a Bible with you, find that uh, today. This morning is actually the second week in a series of messages we've just titled Stuck, Stuck. And if you were not here last week, let me quickly kind of get us all on the same page. God wants you to be free. He, he wants you to be free. Like that's the way of Jesus, free. Free from your past, free from sin, free from anxiety and worry and addiction. That, that, Jesus wants you to be free. And as Christians, freedom really opens up the door in our lives for us to, uh, to live on mission, because if we aren't free, we live in this constant cycle of that issue and that thing becomes all that we think about and really everything that we are. But when we're free, then we can begin to step out and we can begin to do what God has called us to do in a completely different way, in a different level. And it, it is a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, we can bring healing and truth to this broken that world. That's how this is supposed to work as Christians, but the reality of the situation, and I think you know this to be true, is that many, many Christians, and many of us even in this place today, like, are not very free. We, we aren't, we're actually quite stuck. Stuck in all sorts of junk. Um, stuck, stuck in all sorts of destructive thinkings and issues and behaviors, and we live our lives uh, stuck in things that are holding us back and keeping us from moving forward in this beautiful relationship with Jesus. So as a church, we, we're on this journey together uh, through some of, the some of the most difficult topics in our culture. In fact, next week, next week, don't miss this, next, next week we're going to talk about uh, anxiety and depression, and we're actually going to spend a few weeks on this. And uh, anxiety is everywhere in our culture, isn't it? Uh, depression is everywhere in our culture, and I know those words mean, mean something to many of us here today in the way that we live our lives, and maybe the word stuck is a word that you would use even to talk about that issue in your life, like you just feel stuck in that. Next week, we're gonna begin this conversation uh, when it comes to that. In a couple weeks, we're gonna talk about your past, and we're going to talk about some of the things that happened to you, some of the things that you have struggled with, some of the things that maybe were done to you, uh, and that you have struggled to get past. And in a way, you feel stuck because of some of the things that have happened and have okay, and, and that in the past. And maybe your past is the reason you're stuck. Maybe it's guilt and shame. Maybe it's hurt and bitterness. Uh, but whatever, like God, God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free from that. And many of us are are stuck. Over the few, next few months, we're going to kind of hammer these type of topics, uh, things that are holding us back as Christians, and we our goal is to find freedom. We sang about freedom today, and it was a beautiful thing, uh, and that's, that's what we want. We want to be free. Today is, is really the second part of last week's message. Um, I've found that if I speak for two hours, people don't like that, so I have to break things up a little bit, all right? And so uh, this is really part two of that message, which was on the topic of sexual sin, uh, if you were here. Today's, this is difficult. Uh, this is embarrassing for, for us. This is, much of this is secret, isn't it? Uh, many of us are trying to do everything in our power to keep it that way. 
but there's, there's just no question in my mind that for many of us here today and for many of us even watching online, like we're stuck in this area of sexual sin and whatever that looks like. Why, why do I know that? Because it's everywhere. It's everywhere you look all the time. It's normal. It's all around us, whether we choose to admit it or not. Uh, like we're, t- we're talking about pornography, adultery, lust, the mental battle that is sexual sin, uh, which is very, just simply defined as anything sexual outside of a, the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And last week, we, we started this conversation with this statement. We said, change always involves a crisis and a process. A crisis is very simply coming to the place in your mind where you realize and understand something needs to change. And, and sometimes a medical thing can cause that, or, or something in your marriage can cause that, or whatever outside circumstances can cause this crisis, but, but many times it's just you coming to the conclusion that I cannot live like this anymore, and something has to be different, uh, and, and I need to be free from that. And, uh, and we, we, we looked at the story of Samson, uh, which was described as a person like he never really became who God wanted him to become because he was controlled by his pursuit of sexual pleasure. And if you were here last week, I'm like that was something so so special and so powerful for me as as I looked at this man's life that was pretty much just almost destroyed by this area. And it's all, it, it was a wake-up call, I think, for some of us in this place. And it needed to be, as we talked about how destructive sexual sin actually is and how it results in like the loss of this mission that we have from God, the loss of our integrity as we keep secrets and we lie about the loss of common sense. We looked at all of that and really the loss of the presence of God in our lives. The saddest verse we read last week is like, it just said, and Samson got up and he did not realize that God had left him. He didn't, he didn't realize that. Uh, and, and man, things need to change in my life is where some of us are. I need to be free from that. Last week was the crisis, and this week is the process. Uh, and I believe that if you take this seriously today, if you look at this, if you really dive into this, and if you put into practice what we talk about today, like you can be free. You can be free from this, but let me just warn you right up front, this is difficult, and some of these things are going to come out almost extreme, and there is going to be some of us in this place where we say, no, not worth it. I'll, I'll just be honest, but I do feel that there are some here today, some watching, whoever you are, uh, that are going to grab hold of this today, and that this is going to be like, you look back on this a decade from now, and you say, I'm so glad I'm free from that. That's what I truly believe, and so that's, what we're, that, that's why we're here. That's what this is. Okay, so let's get into this. I want us to begin by taking a moment uh, and praying together, so please stand with me all over this place, and we're just going to kind of corporately invite God into this moment uh, here right now or make us more aware of his presence here is maybe a better way to say it. So uh, let's pray. God, we, we open our hearts. We open our lives, all the junk that is deep within, all the secrets that we keep, and the things that we don't want anybody to know about us. Uh, and Lord, we just pray that as we look to your, uh, your very word, and as we look at some very practical things today, that, that this would be something that grips us uh, in, in a new way. And so God, we just give this to you. We desperately need you and your word. 
uh, to help us here today. And so we give that to you in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give someone a high five and have a seat. Let's go. There we go. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells the story. Hang with me. I know we're giving high fives and this is fun. And I, yeah, all right. Uh, but here we go. We got to hurry up. I lost a bunch of time already. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the story of David and Bathsheba. It's a story that we actually looked at just a couple weeks ago uh, in our study on David. We saw that together. But at that point, we really focused on David's response to his mess up. And we looked at that and it was a beautiful moment as he, as he humbly repented and responded in a way that, that God came into that moment and it, there was healing. Okay, he still, he still suffered massive consequences for, for his decisions, but uh, God moved in that because of the way that he handled that. Uh, today, we're really going to look at what happened and some of the situations and things that led up to this massive sexual fail in a pretty incredible man of God. Uh, and so here we go, let's look. This is Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, verse number one, it says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. We're already supposed to think, the author here, in writing this the way that he does, is already implying to us, David's really not where he's supposed to be. He says, when the kings usually go to war and all this is happening, David stayed. Okay, do you hear that? Why is he telling that? Because this matters as a part of the story. He's not where he's supposed to be already. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. Verse five, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David is supposed to be with his army. We've already learned that, but instead he's in the palace he can't sleep one night, so he's walking around the roof of his palace uh, alone at night. You can hear these words, and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. He finds a servant and says, who is that? The servant says, that's Bathsheba. Her husband is Uriah. By the way, we find out in a moment, Uriah is not with her because Uriah is actually in David's army fighting for David way over there. Okay, so Bathsheba's alone right now. David is not where he's supposed to be. David knows she's married. You hear this? We are, this is already coming together. But in this moment of lust, uh, he loses all integrity. He loses all common sense, as we talked about last week. And he says to the servant, go bring me that naked married woman. It's our story. Bathsheba's brought to David. He sleeps with her. He sends her back home sometime later. She realizes that she is pregnant her husband has been gone for months in the army. The baby is not his. The baby is clearly David's. She sends word to David saying, I'm pregnant. And now we have the start of a horrendous mess that really includes David doing everything in his power to, to really cover this up. He sends word 
to the commanding army or officers in his army to have her husband brought back home. He's off fighting in David's army. David's idea is this. We'll bring the husband home for some special thing. We'll send him home with his wife. He hasn't seen her in forever. Husband will sleep with wife. Wife is pregnant. Okay, She gives birth prematurely, but everyone thinks this is that. Okay, This is plan, uh, this is plan A, problem solved. But Uriah comes home. Husband comes home. This man is so committed to David and so committed to his army that the story says, he says, I will not go home and sleep with my wife while my brothers and my whatever are out fighting in your army. And he sleeps on the steps outside of Davis's palace. He will not go home. Plan fails. Plan B comes up. Uriah goes back. Long story short, David tells the commanding officer to put Uriah on the front lines and to leave him exposed. Everyone backs off. Uriah dies. Problem solved, right, is what we have in our story. David, overcome with sexual desire, makes a mess of things, covers up his sexual sin by really commanding the murder of the woman's husband. Uriah dies, the baby dies, people get hurt, okay? Now, quickly, a second story. We're gonna totally transition. This is Genesis chapter 39. Go way, way to the left side. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. Um, this is the story of a man named Joseph. We're gonna have paralleling stories here uh, that both have to do with sexual sin, and we're gonna look at this and learn from some of this, okay? Joseph is going to face the temptation of sexual sin, but we see him make a completely different decision and respond differently. Genesis 39, verses, starting with verse number six. Read this with me, okay? It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. You can already see we have a married woman here taking notice of this younger slave is what Joseph is at this point, and says, this girl, woman says, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse number 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Okay, even be with her. Do you hear that? All right. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Come on. All right, Joseph's story, very different than David, and the result is very different as well. In the story of David, his sexual desire controls everything that happens in this specific story, controls his actions, really. With the story of Joseph, Joseph just seems to have a different level of awareness and self-control in that moment. Would you agree? Uh, awareness of the consequences of his actions, which seem to disappear, don't they? When, we, when, when, when people get in that moment, when we get in that, that, that type of framework, we forget about the destructive nature that is sexual sin, okay? But Joseph seems to have this awareness. He also has an awareness of God in his life 
as he makes, he very specifically says that. His desire is to do what is right, to keep the trust of his master, to honor God. Like that's, that was a greater desire than the desire of sexual sin, a sexual desire, okay? And he was able to keep common sense in the middle of a situation where most would not. Attractive woman, why do I know she's attractive? Potiphar, his master, is like high up, rich, wealthy dude. This just goes together in that culture when it comes to that type of thing, all right? Throwing herself at this single young man multiple times is our story. David's sexual desire is controlling the situation. Joseph seems to be able to hang on, okay, and keep his common sense. Listen to me here. It is 100% possible to win the battle over sexual temptation. It is. It's possible. For some of us here today, you don't feel like it's possible. You feel like this is hopeless, and you feel so completely stuck inside that, that you, you feel like I could never get past this. Seriously, it is 100% possible to win this, but it takes work, it takes strategy, and it takes help. It, it truly does, okay? And so three steps, three steps that I want to give you to help us get unstuck from sexual sin. And actually, these three things are true for any sin that you are stuck in. And so for some of us, like, take some notes here. This is important and this matters, not just for this specific area that, that many of us are dealing with, but for your area as well, because every single one of us in this place, sin, the Bible says sin is crouching at your door all the time, okay? And so this, is, this matters, this is a big deal. All right, so three things to help us get um, unstuck from sexual sin. Number one, number one, I must seek God daily and fervently. I must seek God daily and fervently. Psalm 63 is kind of where we're gonna start with that. Uh, it says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Earnestly, I seek you. My whole being longs for you. I'm just gonna be honest. Most of us would not use that type of language to describe our relationship with God. Earnestly, I seek you. My whole body, my whole everything longs for you. And listen, this is important. Don't miss this right here. When we are weak with God, temptation is strong. When we are weak with God, temptation is strong. Only when we are strong with God does temptation become weak. You hear me? It's like there should have been like at least one amen there because I felt like that was really good and really important, but I, you just left me hanging like the Norwegian German people that you are, all right? Come on. I know we're not down south, but that was important, all right? Only when we are strong with God does temptation become weak. Come on. See, so often, listen to this, so often when we see a person that has what we feel is this awesome powerful relationship with God, you know what we do? We actually misunderstand what's going on because it's easy to look at a person like that and just think to yourself, well, good for them. They truly found something. And we say that, like we think those things. Wow, man, I wish I could find God in the way that they have found God. Like a deep, powerful relationship with God is something that people just 
some people find and other people's they don't. But understand, that's not how this works. It is not a lucky thing. It's not something that some find and others don't. The reality of the situation is that every person that has a deep, true, powerful relationship with God got that through effort and through seeking God. Okay, do you hear that? It's not something you just stumble on. It's not something you just find on the road, like, oh, there it is, wow, I've got the, okay, that's not how this works. It comes through effort, and it comes through seeking God. The, the word seek is all over the Bible. In fact, it shows up like 313 times, is what I have in the translation I was looking at. Just this word seek, okay? Let me show you, I'm going to burn through like 10 of them and really fast. Here we go. Uh, Psalm chapter 9, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Do you hear that? Psalm, Psalm chapter 10, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God, to hear this over and over, the Bible talks about this. The Lord is looking for any who seek. Psalm 27, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalm 34, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I know this sounds repetitive, but we're, we're not going to do 313 of them, okay? Just about 250, I promise, okay? Psalm chapter 40, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Psalm 105, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his great, seek his face always. Last one, Proverbs 28, uh, evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand fully, okay? The idea is seeking God. It's all throughout the Bible. It's over and over again, and it really describes this posture uh, of, of what a Christian's heart and life should look like, even here today. And it really kind of leads me to this question, how has your seeking of the Lord been? How has that been for you? Your seeking of the Lord. Like, let that sink in, because listen, in this conversation right here, seeking God is the furnace that fuels the fire of victory over sexual sin. It starts there. You, you can do all sorts of self-help stuff and, and addiction stuff, and you can, there's some really practical, amazing things to get through some of this type of stuff. As a Christian, I am telling you that seeking God, it's like the, it's like the fire that starts this entire thing in your life. Okay, it really does. It's huge. It, where it begins, all right? Seeking God. In my time with God, I tear down the altar of selfishness and me and what I want and my desires, and in a way, I raise in its place the altar of the purpose and the lordship of Jesus in my life for his glory. It happens through seeking God. You don't just find that. You don't find it. You don't stumble upon it. It, it takes effort. Joseph faces temptation with Potiphar's wife. This woman is like all over him here. And he responds with, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Let me just be honest with you. You do not respond like that unless you are seeking God daily and fervently. You don't. 
You, you, you don't. His focus on God, his mind is on God, and that comes through spending time through seeking. I must seek God daily and fervently. That's so good. I don't even want to move on from this. We could just stop right there, but we're not going to. Some of you are like, rats, but that's okay. <laughs> it fuels the victory, okay? It really does. Number two, number two, this is important. I must eliminate the opportunity to fail. I must eliminate the opportunity to fail. Romans chapter 13, let's put off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, let's behave appropriately. It's this list of all of this. As in the daytime, not wild parties and drunkenness, not in orgies and shameless immorality. That stuff's in the Bible, by the way. Not in bad temper and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Now check out this, why, why did I share this? This last line. And don't make any allowance for the flesh and its lust. What does that mean? What does that mean? Don't make any allowance for that, okay? Like, here's what it means. It means avoid situations where temptation comes. Like, use your brain a little bit in this situation. I know common sense disappears pretty quick, but in, like, figure this out and say, like, in the last couple decades, there's actually been all sorts of research done on the topic of addiction, it's been incredibly helpful. What's fascinating, though, is when you read through almost all of that type of research, uh, in almost every sin or addiction uh, that you and I regularly commit or have, it is preceded by a ritual of sorts. This is from addiction stuff. I know that sounds kind of bizarre, but like, stick with me for a moment. Okay? In other words, there's usually a consistent, predictable condition like that is present during the majority of our mess-ups. And if we can learn how to, in a way, see the signs, then it can help us avoid these kind of things. Now, let me give you an example here from our Bible stories today. David is on the roof of his palace all alone at night. Already, okay? Can you feel the situation being set up where he is all there by, he's by himself, no one else around, and it's at night. Like, at night, all alone. Not to mention the story very specifically tells us he's not where he's supposed to be. He's already setting himself up for, like his massive sexual failure here came at a time when he wasn't where he was supposed to be and he's all alone at night. By the time he sees Bathsheba, you could argue he really already lost this battle. He was not set up to succeed in that moment. Uh, let's just get real about this for a moment. Some of us need to start using a little bit of common sense about this and getting practical. If your issue is pornography, if your issue is pornography, and there's no doubt a percentage of us in here, that is the issue. No question asked, statistically. If that's your issue, then you need to no longer have unlimited access to your phone and your computer and your TV and whatever. You need to no longer have that. Unlimited, unfiltered access to that in your life. In, it, practically, you need to eliminate the opportunity for you to fail. For, like You need to have your spouse or someone you trust, a good friend, to set up stuff on your phone. Because I, I don't know if you know this, the phone companies have actually helped us with some of this. But most of us don't know it and we don't take advantage of this. You can actually have your spouse or someone you trust go into the settings of your phone, create a password, and set limitations and set 
the inability to search certain things and content and watch certain kind of videos, they can set that up for you. Practically, come on, somebody. And let me just go on a little tangent here. If you have a teenager and they have a phone, you should be doing this, parents. Can I just, I'm just going to call, I'm going to use the word stupid. And I'm sorry if that word is not your favorite. You are not stupid, but what we are doing is a stupid thing, is what I mean. Okay? If you, are, if you have given your 13-year-old boy a cell phone, and you have given him unlimited everything access, and he has that phone in his room all throughout the night, no checks and balances in every, in every sort of way, I guarantee you he is getting places and doing things he should not be doing. It, this is common sense. And for some of us as parents, we're dropping the ball with this. Well, I, I want to trust my kids and I want to teach them to make good decisions. You can do that as well. You can also take away their ability to search for pornography on their phone. School does it. Why, why do we j- just allow our kids to run, run rampant in our homes with that? It does, like, I don't understand. And for some of us, you need to do this. You need to do this. There, you can even, like, and for... An alcoholic needs to remove alcohol from their home. And they need to stop going to the bars. And for some of us, we don't, we don't put this together with our sexual stuff, and we don't do this, all right? And some of us are thinking, wow, that sounds crazy, crazy harsh. Something has to change. We're destroying ourselves from the inside, whether you want to admit it or not. Okay, let's take this farther. If, if you know that you have a tendency to flirt with a certain guy at your workplace, you really you need to begin to avoid being all alone with him. You need to not take a break at the same time he doesn't sit at the table across from him. Or she. I don't mean that to put it put it in that way. Let's okay. What I love about the story of Joseph is it actually says like he avoided her. Did you catch that? She is pulling at him constantly for this, and the story says like Joseph runs out of the way and he avoids her the best that he can. Right there, that is, that is so big. You need to avoid moments where it's just you and her or just you and him, all right? If you travel a lot for work and that's where you're tempted, something needs to change. I have, I have pastor friends that do a ton of traveling all over the nation for different things and, and many of them will never travel alone. Not because they have a huge pornography addiction, but because they're being wise. They understand that being in a hotel room away from their family and accountability and their wife is, is, an, is a risk, okay? To see something and do something that they know they shouldn't. So they bring people with. They'll pay extra plane tickets to bring someone with, just to be with them the whole time, okay? Some of us need to do this. If you're in a dating relationship and you're struggling with things going too far physically, you need to identify the exact situations where you struggle, all right? When we're all alone on the weekend in my house and there's nobody ever here, that's the spot. You can't be there anymore. Don't try to willpower your way. Up. Like, come on. We've got to eliminate the opportunities in our lives to fail. If you begin to seek God daily and diligently and then you, second, begin to eliminate some of these opportunities in your life, you have already made massive steps to overcoming the sin in your life that you are stuck in, okay? And that, uh, man, like, you're like, this is so extreme. This is, this is a big deal, and it matters, and I'm tired. I'm tired of people being stuck in this. 
My desire is for you to be free, not to yell at you and make you feel crummy right now. Seriously. My desire is that you would be free. All right. Uh, number three. So I must eliminate the opportunity to fail. Number three, I must make myself truly accountable. This is the last one. Uh, James chapter five, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We don't do this, do we? Like as Christians in our culture, this is not a part of our normal stuff. We have many who grew up going to confession. That's not what this verse is, by the way. This is not confess your sins to a priest. This is confess your sins one to another and pray for each other. Like, we don't do this, but scripturally, hear this, scripturally, if you don't have someone that you are being completely honest about your sin with, then you are not fully in alignment with the Bible. Confess your sins to one another, to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. A part of this healing which you could define this healing as emotional healing, physical healing. It could even be healing like a freedom from sin. Could be all this word healing is all of, all of that. But part of this healing in our lives is to involve other people. It really is. You need to tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. You, you need to come clean. You need to tell somebody that you trust and make yourself fully accountable to what you are doing and what you are struggling with. And not just tell them part of it. Come on. We, we do this too where we, we're like, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm coming clean. Yeah, I, 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 I do struggle like a little bit with lust every so often. The reality, like sometimes we just got to stop sugarcoating stuff and saying I'm losing the battle to pornography in my life. You got to say it like that. I'm cheating on my spouse and I need, I need to fix this. We've got to say this stuff. I know we're ashamed. I know we have a mess. I know it's a secret and, and all this type of stuff. I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and I know it's wrong and something needs to change. We humbly confess our sins one to another. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't try to make ourselves look better than we were. Like we come clean. And can I just tell you something for a moment? There is something powerful and freeing that comes from your secret no longer being a secret. It may sound horrendous for somebody to know your deepest, darkest struggles and the things that you fail at miserably and your sin and all of this, but like it, it's, it's like it no longer has power over you anymore because your greatest fear was really somebody knowing and finding out, and now it's there. Listen, we're almost done, I promise, but listen, back to the story of David. David had zero accountability. It was his, it was his main issue in this whole thing. Like, he, he put himself in a bad situation, but he has nobody. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He sees a woman, asks her to be brought to him. The servant here kind of half speaks his mind with this. But he can't, he can't say what he's really thinking. You can feel that in the story. He says, that's Bathsheba. Her husband is Uriah. You know, can you just feel like, yeah, her husband. Why, why, does, the, why does the servant... Tell David that she's married. Think about it. It doesn't matter to the story, does it? It matters to the story. The servant is saying, this is not okay. But he doesn't feel the power to truly confront the king here. So it's just like, there we go. Okay, now I'll bring you the, the naked married woman here, king. I mean, this is what we have. There's no accountability in David's life. Uh, and actually, in the end of the story of David here with this, David's healing comes through another person. 
that comes into his life, a man named Nathan. Nathan confronts David. David responds in a healthy way, and change comes. But I'm telling you, if you are serious about finding freedom in this area of your life or in any area of your life, you need to tell somebody you need to become fully accountable. Music team, will you please come? I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place. We could spend like another three weeks on this, I feel like, because it's that big of an issue and that big of a topic. And again, some of us, you just kind of wrote off this entire thing today because you're like, that's not my issue. Sin is an issue. And it looks different for different people in different ways. And what we've talked about here today, um, put that last slide up one more time here for me, the one that just has the three things. Uh, What we talked about today, like, Like very specifically, this is so relevant to every single one of us. We all should, in different areas of our lives, be doing this. You you should be seeking God daily and diligently. This should be a part of your life. This should be what defines you as a Christian. Let's not be complacent, apathetic Christians who come to church sometimes and leave and never spend time with God. He's he's our root. He's our, our power. Everything comes from that. I, we have an hour together, or some of you are like, more than an hour today, but okay. We have an hour together a week, and then we go home and are bombarded with social media, TV, movies, medias, to the tune of like 30 hours of our week, statistically. And, I, and, and we're supposed to come here and somehow get everything that we need to live our lives out for Jesus? Think about the ratio here. This is ridiculous. We can accomplish very little here together in an hour when we fill ourselves with so much junk. At some point, you need to begin to eliminate some of the stuff in your life that is causing you to go the wrong direction and learn how to seek God on your own. You also, you've got to have people you talk to. Confess your sins one to another. Seeking God, foundational. Foundational. Be pro- proactive. Can't take control of your cell phones. Take control of your cell phones. I was reading a book this week, and it talked about, it said, it said at the least, Americans have a severe compulsion issue with their phones, but most, most Americans have a flat-out addiction. And we don't want to admit it. We don't talk about it. But... What is the first thing you do when you wake up? It's like 76% of Americans, the first thing they do is they grab their phone and look at it. What's the last thing you go to bed? When you do, take your phone from your face and put it away, okay? Addiction. I can stop any time. No, you can't. Try it. I dare you. You'll find yourself shaking. You'll find yourself like, why did I just pick this up? Try to stop. Why am I, how did I open that app? I didn't even think about it. It just happens. We have created a mess in our culture when it comes to technology. The people that in, the people that invented a whole bunch of the technology stuff, the guy who invented like Facebook and stuff, he won't let his kids use it. Steve Jobs would not give his kids a, an, an iPhone. And this goes on and on. Serious, seriously, look into that. It's, it's fascinating. They understand that. This is a big deal. 
and how we're going to end. And I know we've went a little bit long today, and I wanted us to sing and do some more things with this too, but I got a little carried away at some of it. I'm sorry for that. But uh, I, wanna, I do want us to just pray. I want us to just pray together and, and really just take a moment where we kind of calm our hearts, where we take some deep breaths, and where we kind of walk out here today with a little bit of a new plan of attack for some of the junk that we're going through. Come on. All right. And so, God, we, we want to live our lives free, free to, to really be who you have called us to be and free to be on mission and free to live our lives on purpose, with a purpose. And, God, there are so many of us who are stuck, stuck in sin, not able to get past it, stuck in the sexual junk that really is our culture, stuck in hiding and covering things up. And God, the prayer even in this moment right now is that we would begin to take these steps. We believe you do miracles and we believe that you can take um, addiction and fix that in a moment, God. But, but the reality is we just want to be wise and we want to seek you and we want to be practical with this. And so, Lord, I just pray. I pray that even this moment right here, for someone, this would be a moment where they say, enough is enough. I'm going to do difficult things. I'm going to change some areas and things in my life to get me moving in this direction. And so, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that this would be a special moment and a special thing for some of us here today. God, we love you. We need you. In your name I pray. Amen. We're gonna, not going to be done yet. We do need just two minutes. And that is that we just never want to rush through this end where someone could give their life to Jesus even for the first time. Your sin has separated you from God. We, okay, like it's, a, it's this beautiful thing. God created us for this relationship and then we just kind of junked it up our sin, every single one of us, and God sends Jesus to really be this in-between between a perfect and holy God and a messed up humanity, and it's through his death on the cross that we can be reconnected, but the Bible says you've got to put your faith in, in Jesus, you've got to believe in Jesus, and, and you've got to, like, you seek this relationship with God and you find it, is how this works, and you seek it, and you seek it, and you move, and so for some of us maybe here today, no one's looking around time of privacy and reflection, who here in this place would say, I have never responded to the message of Jesus in my life. I've never personally made that decision to put my trust in him, and I want to do that today. If that's you, will you just show me your hand for just a moment? We're just going to pray together online. You can respond to this as well, okay? But anyone at all that would just say, yes, that's me. And church, let's just pray together. Let's pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, can we just celebrate that moment? May you walk out these doors today and pursue the freedom that is in Jesus. May you do the things you need to do and seek God and find people and eliminate opportunities and let's just be free people. Come on. All right. Thanks so much for coming today.